So this is the third in our sort of New Year series. Dennis Hilton started us off uh, uh, three weeks ago. If you missed that talk, please check it out on our podcasts and, and what have you, on our archives. You can access that online. Last week I talked about four aspects of the soul. Uh, and uh, this week I'm going to talk about the call of God. And I just want to give you another heads up. This is something that if you come regularly, you'll know that we don't do this regularly. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by, by what we used to call in days of old an altar call. At the end of the talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to do more than just sort of go away and say, hmm, that was interesting. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to come forward and, and pray to the Jesus you know and love and, or you're striving towards and say, God, you know, I, I want to respond. I, I want to follow you. So that's a heads up, okay? So don't be startled or shocked and all the rest of it. Okay, the call of God then. I'm going to read a passage in just a moment that has become a favorite of mine. It wasn't a favorite when I first became a follower of Jesus. It was just another part of the stories of Jesus. And in some ways, you know, I feel, I feel, I don't think this, but I feel like I need to apologize because it's a Sunday school story. It's a Jesus story. This is the stuff our kids get so wonderfully next door. But of course, we're pressing on into deep theology and doctrine and all the rest of it, which is great. But the reality is, I honestly think that sometimes we're missing out on something, that we're not telling enough of the, the stories of Jesus. We're not teaching. It's, it sounds extraordinary. We are Christians, followers of Christ. And he should be our first point of reference. And so we, we need, as adults, to come to the stories of Jesus and his interactions a little more often. And I'm resolving this new year to preach a bit more about Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. You may be expressing surprise. You may think, what? They don't do that here? Where did they go wrong? But listen to me. Uh, trust me. I, I think it'll be good. So this story then, a favorite of mine. I've used this as I've trained leaders to... to to recruit and, and uh, develop people. I've used it in, in the context of, of just pursue, you know, exploring call and vision and mission and purpose. I've used it in a variety of different contexts. Today, I want to zero in on this call of Jesus. So let's look at the text without further ado. Uh, Luke chapter 5. It's going to come up on the screens, and, and as always, I just want to say to you, if you don't have a modern version of the Bible, if you don't have one, then please go to the welcome desk. We would love to gift you one. We would love to put that into your hand. And uh, you can take that away with our blessing. But only, not if you've got 16 and you'd like a 17th. You know, only if you haven't got one, okay? Great stuff. So let's read this story then. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, ah, Master, we've worked all night, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. <sighs> all right, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, 
They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by your strength. Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Give us soundness of mind, soundness of heart. Lord, open our eyes now to hear what your spirit is saying to us. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, one or two little things we can say about this story. First of all, and as I've read it, I didn't notice this for a long time, but as I read it, over the years, it began to occur to me that actually the heroes in this story, second only, of course, to Jesus, having said what I've just said, the heroes are the fishermen. But actually they're reluctant heroes, because what we have here is actually something that you can still see taking place today. The fishermen are on the, on the shore. They've pulled their boats out of the water. They've washed their nets to get the salt out of them. They've lain the nets out into the sun and uh, that they might dry and be ready for the, the forthcoming evening's work. But actually, this is the end of their shift. And like any manual laborer, anyone who works very physically for a living, come the end of the shift, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you're ready to go home. You're ready to go and have a shower, maybe a couple of beers, something to eat, and then get some sleep. And then the following day, it all happens all over again. So these guys have worked hard, they've been out there, and now they're packing up and they're already beginning to look forward to walking up the the slipway up into the village to have breakfast and whatever next. When all of a sudden, there's a bit of a hubbub, a bit of a a kerfuffle, and down the, the slipway comes a whole ton of people, and they look up and think, what the... And it's Jesus. And they know of this Jesus. In fact, they may have even heard him speak once or twice. He's kind of a bit of a local celebrity. And so he shows up, and there's this great crowd that comes with him. And the next thing, they're all sort of tumbling down onto the beach, and suddenly they're concerned about their, their, their nets, which are laid out in the sun. Oi, get, 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 would you, what? Oh, oh, sorry, Jesus. Yeah, great, fabulous, you know. And so there's all these people there. And then, to top it all, they can't just sort of, slope away or slip away because Jesus says to Simon, the sort of boss, foreman, owner, whatever, he says, Simon, do us a favor. Can I just, can we just get into your boat and pull away? There's, there's just such a throng of people here, you know, that we're not going to be able to do anything, let alone hear ourselves talk. And so Simon goes, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. So they get into the boat, pull off the shore a few meters. And Jesus teaches from them. He speaks from that place. Of course, it's kind of a natural pulpit. There's a bay, and he's in the middle, and the water, the the sound carries across the people. Poor old Peter sat in the back of the boat, wondering if he had a watch, and they didn't have watches then, but he's wondering how long is this going to take. 
He's, his stomach's rumbling. He wants to play with the kids. Needs to take the dog a walk. Other things. Finally, finally, it comes to an end. And, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, thank you so much for that. Listen, I'll tell you what. Pull out into the bay, let down the nets, and we'll go fishing. And Peter kind of, there's a stunned silence. He can't believe what, believe what he's hearing. He says to Jesus, he said, excuse me? He says, go out, let, let us go out, let's go fishing. <laughs> and Peter says, Master, um, <laughs> you know what, that's really kind of you, but the guys and I, we've been out all night, and to be honest with you, if you'll excuse my French, it's been a hell of a night. We've, we've done everything we know, and, and we've come back empty-handed. I don't know what my wife's going to say. We've got nothing to show for it. And all I really want to do now is go home, have a shower, and frankly go to bed. And Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't stand down. And Jesus says, Peter, let's go fishing. So Peter relents. He says, all right, because it's you, we'll go fishing. So he pulls a few more meters out and lets down the nets and what have you. We know actually that Peter's playing at it a little bit. At least I deduce that. I'll tell you why I deduce that. Because in a moment, and you've already heard the story, they catch a huge quantity of fish. And he's able to call his mates on the beach to come and help him. So they've not gone to the family fishing place, you know, that, that special place you know, round the bay and in that little inlet where father and son for generations have caught fish and, you know, sustained the family, the secret place, the, you know, the, the place that they only they know about. They've just pulled a few feet off the shore. And any fisherman, and some of you I'm sure are fishermen, will tell you that the reason even today fishermen, even anglers love night fishing is that fish have no lids on their eyes. That means bright sun in the noon of the day hurts them, which means that they go very, very deep. So they're within hailing distance of the shore. They're not in deep water, and Peter has let down the nets because all he wants to do is go home and have a shower. Please! But what happens? Well, you know, suddenly... They are in to a shoal, not a few fish, but a shoal. Suddenly, what is, is, is kind of limp and lank and just dangling over the side of the boat, suddenly it goes taut. The boat jolts and a shoal swims into the net. A shoal, a full shoal. And they're in the shallows and it's the height of day and suddenly the boat is being slowly dragged along by the weight of this thing. Instantly, all the fishermen on that boat, and there were probably two or three, they didn't need to ask Jesus for permission. They probably elbowed Jesus up the way. They knew exactly what to do. And they started doing what fishermen do and still do. They were hauling those nets in, hand over hand. And then they start looking at one another as they're leaning over the gunnels because this, this is a catch. No, this isn't a catch. This is the mother of all catches. This is a catch that they will talk about in years to come. They will stand around and have a few beers and say, do you remember that time that Jesus was preaching on the beach and we caught that shoal? 
Anyway, after a little while, they realize as the boat begins to lean that they're not going to be able to land this shoal of fish. So at that point, they whistle up the shore. Oi, get over here, quick. And the lads on the beach, they think they're finally clear, and they're walking up the slipway, and they suddenly hear this bellowing from the water. And they turn around, and one says, that's Peter, what's he so excited about? Oh, come on, let's go quick, he'll have us, you know. No, he's, what's his, what? He wants us to bring the boat out. Fish, fish! And they leg it down. They launch that sucker back into the water, and they row out to where Peter is, and the two boats then set about landing this, this shoal, this catch of fish. Finally, they get it into the two boats. It fills the boats to the gunnels. They have got fish up to their fetlocks. They've got it coming out of their ears. There are so many fish. They labor to the shore. They pull the boats up. They pull these flapping silver, silver gold, silver darlings onto the beach. And when the crisis and adrenaline and energy of the moment has subsided, suddenly it begins to dawn on them what's just happened. Noonday sun, shallow water, fishing all night, Jesus. And at that point, Peter becomes a little uncomfortable. At that point, Jesus, who's there and is Friends and his followers have been laughing and helping where they can, mostly getting in the way, to be honest, but helping where they can. Suddenly, Peter doesn't want to look at Jesus. Suddenly, Peter begins to feel a little uncomfortable. He thinks about the, the attitude he had at the beginning of the day when all this story started. He thought about a few curt comments, a few quips that were spoken just a little too loud, not so much as to be downright rude, but to leave Jesus in no doubt that actually they'd really rather be going home for a shout. But he can feel Jesus looking at him. He knows Jesus is there, and they're still knee-deep in fish. And all of a sudden, he can stand it no more. He flops down, this great hulking man with hairy arms and fingers like bananas, calloused and worn, weather-beaten, like old leather. He collapses, he slumps down in front of Jesus. And says virtually the first thing that comes to his mind, which is, leave me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord God. You don't want to be messing with me. I'm just a rude, braggadocious, loud mouth, foul tempered, you know me. Just go, Jesus. Just leave me alone. I, I am a sinful man. Jesus. I always picture, it doesn't say this in the text, but I, I picture Jesus grabbing a great lump of, of garment on the front by his chest, dragging him up to his feet and holding him there and forcing eye contact 
looking deep into Peter's embarrassed and childish face, childlike, and saying to him, Peter, Simon, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Extraordinary story. I love it. I love it. And there's so much we can learn from it. I'm not going to give you the whole nine yards, but I'm, I'm going to give you some things following on from Dennis's teaching, following on from my teaching on aspects of the soul last week, about the call of God. Because there's a number of things that, that we can draw from this. First of all, let's start, let's start at the beginning. Jesus finds us as we are. Those fishermen were not looking for Jesus, they were looking to get off home. They were looking at best for a good catch to, to be able to support their family and there's nothing wrong with that. I wanna support my family and so do you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's necessary. And it's, it's Jesus who comes to us and the first thing I want you to hear and is this, is that Jesus is looking for you. Did you realize that? Jesus is forever looking for you. We see it throughout the scriptures that God is looking for us. He's intent upon finding us, upon finding you. Right back there in the beginning in Genesis, Father God is walking through the garden in that wonderful expression in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? Where are you? He's looking for you. Now there may have been phases in your life, maybe this is one of them, when you're looking for Jesus. There are other times when we're busy and we're distracted and life happens and we get on with it and actually to be honest with you, the whole Christianity, religion thing, we don't know, uh, yeah, yeah, I used to go to church but we moved house and I haven't got into it yet, I must do that sometime. You know, you know, well you know, life happens, I hope. Not too many of you are in that place, if not, you need to do Alpha, but, but it happens. But I want you to know that God is proactive in finding you. You are not here by accident today. God is intent upon finding you. And on that morning, Jesus found his reluctant heroes. There was a great mob of people. He could have had any number of volunteers. He could have recruited and signed up for any kind of program that he cared to launch that, that morning. But what he was intent upon doing, amongst other things, was in finding those fishermen. So whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation you're in, God wants to find you. And this is a little silly exercise, but it might just help zero in. I would love you just to turn to your neighbor, 30 seconds, and tell each other, you know, what do you fill your days with? Maybe you're a homemaker, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a professional, maybe you're unemployed, whatever. Just turn to your neighbor, and they may even know that, but I want you to do it anyway. Just bear with me, please. Just turn to your neighbor and, and tell them what you do every day, okay? Do it. Okay, that's it. It ain't rocket science. I say that to say this. 
I say that to say this, folks. Whatever you said to your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, regardless of whether they knew it, God finds you in that place. God finds you in that place. God finds you in that place. I've said this before, that in in talking and teaching Christians about God's attitude to work, for example, very often I kind of get the impression that they think God leaves them as they step onto the, you know, the 659 to King's Cross. Kind of bit like, you remember the first day at school? Do you know, I remember the first day at school. Who, just out of interest, who remembers their first day at school? Uh, And I, you know, thank you. Many of you do. All of you do. I remember my first day at school. It was at Archdeacon Cambridge's Infant School in Twickenham. And I was up for going. I was looking forward to it. But as we approached that day, my mother became more and more kind of nervous. With hindsight, I, I can tell it was her nervousness at the time. I just wasn't quite sure. She kept telling me, what to do if, like what to do if the big boys do that? What to do if the teacher says this, thus, and so? So by the time that we got to the school gate on that first day, I was a bit twitchy because my mum was twitchy. And I'll always remember having been really excited, so excited that I'd almost been disciplined the day before because I was bouncing off the furniture. I just couldn't wait to get to school. But I remember going through that sort of, that, that door, this old Victorian infant school, turning around and seeing my mum sort of at the gate going. <laughs> now, those of you who are listening to a podcast will not have seen that, but I've got a silly look on my face and I'm sort of doing a limp-wristed wave. And I knew that I was doing something, and what's more, I knew that for the first time in my life, I'd left mummy elsewhere. Now, I say all of that to say this, that very often I get the impression when I'm talking to people that they believe that God is like some impotent parent standing at the school gate, waving them into school and saying, I'll be here when you come back, darling, because work is another place. And I want to say to you, based on the teaching that Jesus is not leaving us, he's looking for us. And Jesus meets us, where finds us where we are. Situation and circumstances. The second thing, and you'll be pleased to know this, because maybe you're in a situation where actually you've got a great team of colleagues at work. Let's talk about work. Maybe, you know, maybe not all of them are believers in Christ, but it's just a pleasure to work with them, and it's a great team, and it's, it's actually marvelous. But the next thing I want to say is this, is that Jesus takes us as we are. Based upon this story, we can see how actually, regardless of whether the fishermen that morning were looking for Jesus, they were actually in not a very good place. They were tired, they were hungry, that's for sure. And they were probably a bit... Depressed, they were even possibly a bit ashamed. What am I going to say to the wife? Been out all night and I've got a thing to show for it. And she's been banging on about the need for some new, new sandals, some new shoes for little, little Tommy, so because he's starting at school tomorrow. It'll just have to wait. 
So the very thing that they'd lived for, trained for, been brought up to be, they, they weren't any good at it. No fish. So that morning, tired, perhaps a little irritable that all these people are traipsing all over their, kit, their gear and kit, and a bit depressed because, quite frankly, last night sucked. Now, does that put Jesus off? No, Jesus presses in. This, I hope, is good news to you because I think the other thing that I find myself, you probably don't, aren't affected by this, but I, I believe God loves me when I'm good, when I'm positive, when I'm not misbehaving, when I'm, you know, not sinful, when I'm really trying hard to be a good Christian. I believe God loves it when I do that, and he does, it's true. But the reality is, some days I'm not so good. Some, some days I'm having a, what do they used to call it, a bad hair day or something. I got out of bed the wrong side was another expression. You know, I'm just not doing too well today, thank you very much. And today I'm not sure whether I can be bothered with the Jesus thing. It's just too, I've got too much going on, thank you very much. And none of us are surprised when God doesn't visit us that day in some extraordinary, wonderful way. We're perhaps a little surprised when he doesn't appear to visit us when we're trying so hard to be good. Now that is most definitely another series which we're going to explore some more. But I want to say this, on this day, when these fishermen were not in the best of place, that, you know, they, they were exactly as I've described. Jesus not only found them, but took them as they are. Took them as they are. And that's not the end of it. He's not just a nice, positive, personable guy to have around when you're not having a good day. But he's also someone who calls us to a higher purpose. Calls us to a higher purpose. And that's an extraordinary thing. Peter was broken by this thing. Well, broken, maybe that's too strong a word. He was certainly wrong-footed that morning. He was certainly taken aback. He was astonished, and as everyone was, that was what the Word of God says. He was astonished in that moment. But actually, Jesus meets him in that place. And he calls us to a higher purpose. He calls us to a higher purpose. And we should hear today from this that we are not disqualified by our situation or our circumstances. And we're not disqualified if we're doing fantastically well. <laughs> if things are hunky-dory. You know, we've been praying. A number of people are facing employment challenges. It's part of what the nation's going through. And we've had some exciting news from one or two people in the last 10, week, 10 days or so that jobs have, you know, interviews have gone well and they've been offered jobs. We're excited about that. Those, those and you know who you are, you're, you're pumped, you're excited, you're positive. This is a great start of the year. Glory, hallelujah. It's a great start of the year. Wonderful. And God bless you in that. And clearly he has and is blessing you. But the reality is this, that wherever we are, God is calling us to a higher purpose. And I want to jump track almost 
I want to come back to the scriptures, but I want to look at the closing verse in, in Matthew's account of this story, where it says this, Jesus says, and I've, I've quoted it in my storytelling, Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And I'm going to finish off by just making two comments about that. God takes us as we are, whatever your circumstance and situation. He doesn't say, he doesn't play the, what I call the if-only game. You, you know the game. It's that game where, well, I've used two or three work illustrations. Let me use another work illustration. You go to a, a trade show, an industry meeting, and you happen to bump into the boss of one of your main competitors. And you kind of know them, you, you, you've met them sort of in this kind of a situation once or twice, and they kind of sidle up alongside and got a little drinky poo in one hand and a few something on a stick in the other. And suddenly this guy drops a bombshell. He says to you, if only you were working for us. I've heard great things about what you're doing. If only you could cross the river and join us. Got a great team, really going somewhere. It, it, I, 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 things are just coming together. You know, you're, you're wasted there. If only you could. You know the kind of thing. And maybe, maybe you'd be flattered by that. Maybe you'd be excited by that. Maybe you'd be appalled by it. Who knows what? But it's the if only game. And I want to tell you, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, and, and Christians play the if only game. And the if-only game is, if only I could, you know, I'm a traffic warden at the moment, if only I was a teacher, then there'd be time to really do my ministry. If only I was there and not here. If only I was, had some training. If only this, if only that. And it's all about not, it's all about if only. But Jesus doesn't play that game with these guys. He doesn't say to Peter, hmm, if only you could... Spend a couple of years with Rabbi so-and-so, then we could really use you. He doesn't say, if only you weren't so busy with your fishing business, then, then, then I could make you an accountant for Jesus. He doesn't play the if-only game. He takes us right where we are in the circumstances that we find ourselves, and he says, I will make you, in Peter's case, a fisher of men. There's vision from God for you now in your present circumstances. This is an exciting thing. We don't have to put on hold or make excuses because he has, it would seem he has more faith for us than we do in ourselves. He has plans for you in this as of the moment. And then the last thing to say is this. Actually, Hidden away in that expression is also Jesus' promise of reward and prosperity. Now, the last two or three weeks, and particularly if you were at the leaders' meeting, and many of you were, and you know, we've been talking about how actually, in spite of all that we hear in the press, and in spite of you know, the feedback we're getting from left, right, and center, there is a very real sense in which we're actually believing that God is saying to us as a community and as members of that community, I want to prosper you. 
This, you may be going through a difficult time, but actually my plan, we saw at the end of that film clip, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, isn't it? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God wants to prosper us. We genuinely and authentically believe in that. However, Jesus did also say, in this life you're going to face challenges, trouble along the way. There are going to be difficulties. He didn't promise us an easy life. There'll be disappointments and setbacks. But the real reward is not the promise of you know, a golden future if we just hang on in there long enough, but there is that. The real promise is in this text, come follow me. It's about being with Jesus. Whatever you get to do, whatever you are doing, however you take those opportunities to serve Christ in your current circumstances, whatever you make of them, the reward is the same. The, the founder of the Vineyard Movement used to say, the pay is just the same. And it's being with Jesus. It's knowing his presence, knowing his affirmation, knowing his love, his kindness and his tenderness. So Jesus says to Peter, come follow me. It's an invitation to be with him. And it's not about journey. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to go to Galilee this year, first time ever. But the dist- it's, not, it's, it's not about you know, huge distances. Galilee to Jerusalem, which is about as far as they traveled, is like going from here to Croydon. You know, it's, it's not a no huge, great big thing. It's not about the going somewhere else. It's about being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. And so the Lord says to you, I, I, I take you as you are. I found you. And I take you just as you are. And I can take you right where you are at the moment. And we can do something, something together. And we'll do it together. Come follow me. I'll call you to a higher purpose being who you are, taking you as you are, and becoming a a fisher of man. As the band comes up, I love that little quote in that film by Francis of Assisi. Do what is necessary. We all have to do things to keep the lights on, keep shoes on the kids' feet, pay the bills. Do what is necessary. Then do what is possible. Many of us balk at that moment. But we have good intentions. We, we want to do this. We want to do that. We just somehow don't get round to it. Maybe next week. Do what is impossible. And then Francis of Assisi says, suddenly you're doing the impossible. And Jesus and his bunch of reluctant heroes, those Galilean fishermen, know all about that. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for your presence. And and Lord God, we we honor you. And, And frankly, it leaves us breathless that you take us just as we are, warts and all, and call us to a higher purpose. 
And Lord God, we, we, we want to take that in. We want to fix this moment, fix this thought. In the light of that, Lord God, I, I know you're going to prompt some of us to just come forward and get a, a, a prayer blessing so that we do more than just go away and say, that was interesting or that wasn't it. We, we, we come forward and we make that, we fix that moment. So come now, Holy Spirit, and just fix and seal your word in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.